So over the years, I've actually had a lot of conversations with different people about the challenge and the difficulty that they've had in feeling God's presence. They've just, for whatever reason, they've just really struggled in feeling the presence of God in their lives. Now, wouldn't it just be so amazing if we could just get our hands on a treasure map and this treasure map would lead us directly to an amazing treasure, that this treasure map would bring us through South American jungles, that these treasure maps would bring us through tribes of these, these uh, civilizations, these dangerous tribes that are trying to kill us, but we can get through it safely. That it would bring us through these ancient ruins and these ancient temples that are just filled with booby traps. And at the very end of the corridor, there would be the prize, this great treasure, this presence of God. <laughs> well, sadly, um, it might feel like we don't have that kind of treasure map available. But actually, today I want to show you that we do have it. And as we continue our sermon series at the movies, and we're doing it 80s style this year, we're looking at very famous movies from the 1980s and using those movies as a backdrop to teach us about some truth that we can learn about in the Bible and how that truth actually relates to our lives together today. Today we're going to be using as our backdrop probably one of my favorite movies ever made. It's the 1991 Harrison Ford movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Even just saying those words, I get goosebumps. The hair on my arms stand up when I just say the title of the movie because I loved it so much. And I could just hear the music just ringing in my ears. Dun, 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 dun. It just makes me want to get on a horse, makes me want to get my fedora, makes me want to get my leather jacket on, get my bull whip and a little side pistol and go on an amazing adventure. See, in 1991, filmmakers George Lucas and Steven Spielberg introduced to the world the character of Indiana Jones. He was based on the adventure serial movies of George Lucas's childhood, movies like Buck Rogers, uh, all the old cowboy serial adventure movies that he saw as a young boy. So he created this world-famous archaeologist character who travels the world going on all these different adventures, trying to find these incredible incredible treasures. And it's his passion to find those treasures and have them displayed in the museum for the world to see and to enjoy. And in the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, he goes after this incredible treasure. He goes after the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I'm going to admit to you, when I saw this movie as a 10-year-old boy in 1981, I didn't realize that the Ark of the Covenant is actually a real thing. <laughs> I just thought it was some cool story about this you know, box that the people of Israel had, and they would bring it with them, and kind of the wrath of God would come shooting out of this box. But the Ark of the Covenant is, you know, the history of it is actually taught to us in the Bible. And so as we kick off our time together today, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson of this incredible artifact. And then we're going to move into and talk about the presence of God. 
the presence of God in your life, the presence of God in my life, the presence of God in our lives as a church family. And how does that, you know, how do we go on this adventure to experience the presence of God more and more? Again, so let's just kind of look at a couple of passages here from the Old Testament. I want to read a little bit of the history of this incredible artifact, the Lost Ark. Here we have in Exodus chapter 25, God is giving instructions to Moses on um, this tent that he's supposed to build. And this tent has different sections and different requirements. And the people of Israel are building this tent as a place of worship where God's presence would come into this place and meet with them there. And then God gives instructions to build the ark, the ark of the covenant in Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to start reading here in verse 10. So this is the the words of God speaking to Moses. And then it continues here and it says in verse 10, it says, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four legs, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. And then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give to you. These are the Ten Commandments, like the stones that God wrote his laws and his decrees on for the people of Israel. They're to be placed inside of this ark. And that continues in verse 17. It says, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold. Cherubim are like these angelic beings that we read about throughout scripture. So make these cherubim and have their wings spread upwards, overshadowing the cover with them. And the cherubim are to, be fa- are to face each other, looking towards the cover. And place the cover on top of the ark and put the ark, uh, put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim um, that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Right, so God is saying to Moses, when you build this Ark of the Covenant, you're going to have the Ten Commandments placed inside it. You're going to have this lid on it, and you're going to have these cherubim, kind of these angelic beings with their wings pointed at each other. And in the center there, right there, will be the full presence of God. And God will meet with you there. And then he will continue to give more laws, more decrees for the people of Israel to follow. You see, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, we learned that the Nazi Germany is on a quest to find the lost ark. The uh, American government is very concerned that the, the Nazis are searching for religious artifacts all over the world. 
In fact, there's a great scene where these academic, these CIA agents come to Indiana Jones and his friend Marcus Brody to learn exactly what this Ark of the Covenant is and why would Adolf Hitler be so obsessed in finding it. And they see these old pictures of the people of Israel carrying this Ark with them everywhere that they go. And beaming out of the Ark is lightning, the wrath of God, wiping out cities, taking out nations. And well, where does that imagery come from? Well, again, that continues in the Old Testament. We read about the people of Israel taking the Ark of the Covenant with them. See, after Moses passes away, a new leader rises up named Joshua to lead the people of Israel. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. And so they come up to a river and God tells them when the priests who are in front of the people carrying the ark, when they put their feet in the river, the river is going to part and is going to allow them to pass through on dry land. And so they do that and they come into the promised land that God had promised to Abraham generations ago. And then we see another scene where the people of Israel are in the land and they're battling their enemies in order to, you know, take over the land there. And there's a city named Jericho and God tells the army to just simply walk around it. Just simply walk around the city day by day, walk around the city and they have the Ark of the Covenant in front of them, leading the way, displaying the glory of God. And after doing that for a few days, the walls of Jericho come crashing down and the people of Israel are able to conquer that city. You see, in this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark becomes a symbol. And it becomes a symbol not of God's presence, which we read about here in Exodus chapter 25, but rather it becomes a symbol of God's wrath. Instead of it being about God's presence, it becomes about God's wrath. And so that's why Indiana Jones has to go on this amazing adventure, because any weapon like that, that could just destroy cities and, and take over whole nations in the hands of Nazi Germany, that's a horrible thing, that this darkness will spread all over the world if they are able to get their hands on the Ark of the Covenant. So they must be stopped. So Indiana Jones gets his fedora, gets his whip, gets his leather jacket, and he hops on a plane to Cairo, Egypt, where the Germans are trying to find the lost ark. Now, we can fast forward a little bit and, and look a little bit more of the history of the Ark of the Covenant. There's a passage here in First Kings chapter 8 that I want us to look at again. So in the history of Israel, the Ark, again, started in this tent, was used, you know, by the priest to bring, you know, the presence of God into battle as they were taking over the promised land. And then one of King David's son was King Solomon. And King Solomon is the king who built the great temple in the city of Jerusalem. And they have this dedication service that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 8 and um, continues on into chapter 9 as well, where the ark is brought into the temple. Because again, the purpose of the ark is not about God's 
wrath, but rather it's about God's presence. It's about God's presence. So here we can read this in, again, 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 1 here. It says, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the months of Athenam, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priest took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priest and the Levites carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. See, the people of Israel had this practice of animal sacrifice where we needed a way to atone from our sins. That's a fancy word of simply meaning, how do we get cleansed? How do we be made clean? Because our sin dirties us spiritually. And so the Israelites offered these sacrifices to God to wash them clean of their sin. The spilt blood of all of these animals were to wash away their sin. Now, the problem with that was it was this temporary cleansing, and it had to be done repeatedly again and again and again and again as people came into the presence of God in the temple at Jerusalem, that they would sacrifice these animals to wash away their own sin. So then it continues here in chapter 8, verse 6. It says, Then uh, the priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. Other translations call this the holy of holies. It is the most holy place. And they put beneath it the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they were still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the stone, the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. And then it continues here. It says in verse 10, it says, When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. This cloud represents this full presence of God now there in the temple at Jerusalem among God's people. And it was so powerful, the presence of God. It just prevented the priests from even doing, getting their work done <laughs> because the presence of God was just so powerful among them. Again, the Ark of the Covenant here in the Old Testament is not supposed to be a symbol of God's wrath and God's judgment. Rather, it is a symbol 
of God's presence among his people. And as you and I go through life, sometimes life has a way of just kind of wearing us down, of, of, of just beating us up, of, of knocking the wind out of us. You know, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our careers, whether it's our responsibilities, or whether it's a worldwide pandemic, whatever it is in your case, there just seems to be this weight that just weighs us down and we're desperate and we long for the presence of God. And many of us, I think, treat the presence of God like it's a lost ark. That we seem to need to go on this grand adventure. That it's only these amazing heroes like Indiana Jones who are able to find the lost ark. It's only a select few who will ever experience the full presence of God in their lives. And so what I want us to do for the remainder of our time together is look at different passages from the New Testament and the Old Testament. Talking about God's presence. Because in the movie, again, everyone's trying to find the lost ark in order to have a weapon. The Germans want it so they can use it to take over the world. The Americans want it so they can stop the the, the Germans from doing that. Indiana Jones wants to find what he believes at the time is just a, a great historical artifact. Because as we study in the Old Testament, eventually the ark just kind of disappears. In the year about 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonians. And then the ark and all the other religious items in the temple were stolen and taken by the Babylonians. And the ark is never seen of again. Now there's all these legends and myths on what happened to the ark. Some people believe it's in Egypt. Some people believe it's kind of still in modern day where Babylon used to be. Some even believe it's actually in a chamber hidden, that a chamber that Solomon had built and hid the ark there. And it's directly under the place where Jesus was crucified. And the ark is still there. A lot of legend about this. But you and I are not called to be raiders of a legend. You and I are called to pursue God's presence. We're called to pursue God's presence in our lives. And we're not trying to gain a superpower or to gain a weapon. But we want to just come into God's presence as God's family, as God's children And here's the amazing truth that the Bible teaches. You see, back in the Old Testament days, the people of Israel, they needed that temple. They needed that Ark of the Covenant to experience God's presence. But because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we no longer need a temple to come into the presence of God. We no longer need an ark, an amazing treasure, a beautiful treasure made of gold. We no longer need that item to come into the presence of God. Because the Bible teaches 
that when you and I turn from our sin, when we realize that there's this holy God who loves us, who created us, and our sin, kind of the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave, the way we treat people, the way we even treat ourselves sometimes, is not the way God would have us live our lives. And when we do this crazy thing called repent, where we turn from those sins and we turn our hearts back to God, we ask God to forgive us. The Bible teaches at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes on us and we become the new temple. The Holy Spirit comes in you. You are made new at that point, and you become the temple of the Most High God. You're not God. You're not God, but you become the temple of his presence. And wherever you and I go as followers of Jesus into the world, we bring the full presence of God with us. You see, the presence of God is not lost We don't need a treasure map. We don't need to go on this great adventure. We don't need to fight Nazis. We don't need to do all of these things. We don't need to deal with booby traps and big giant rolling stones and spikes that come shooting out of the wall. The full presence of God is right here with us. So how can you and I experience that more? Three things that I want to leave you with today. I'd encourage you to write these things down um, because you'll forget about them. I know you will because I will. (laughs) But I think this is so crucial for all of us in the world that we're living in today. How can we experience more of the presence of God in our lives? So the first is this. If we want to be pursuing God, we want the presence of God more in our lives. The first is to pursue God as a priority. We need to pursue God as a priority. You see, Indiana Jones, for him, archaeology is his passion. It is his priority. It is what completely, totally drives him. It's what ruins his relationships with other people is this passion to find these ancient relics and to get them into a museum. We learn about his relationship that he once had with a, uh, um, with a, a woman named Marion. And, you know, they were pretty close. But because of this passion of archaeology, he just couldn't be locked down. He couldn't just stay with one woman. He couldn't just be this married man. He had to travel the world. This passion of his drove him, even at the expense of other things around him. Now, that might sound pretty narcissistic. It might kind of sound like a very unhealthy way to live. And, of course, the way we do that in our human nature tends to be unhealthy. But Jesus actually taught his followers to make the pursuit of God's kingdom the priority of our lives. And it's something that's really easy to say, but I question this in my own life. Is it true of how I'm living my life day to day? Right? Jesus said these words in Matthew. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
what Jesus was talking about at that time. He was talking with his followers and people were just worried, right? They're worried about their money. They're worried about food. They're worried about their clothing, right? They're worried about important things, like things that people need to survive. And Jesus says, don't make that stuff the top priority of your life. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God's righteousness. See, what he's saying here is, are you pursuing God? Is the pursuit of God the greatest adventure in your life? Is everything that you're doing helping you to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness? Because if it is then all these other things that we worry about, you know, our jobs, our education, our finances, our health, all of these things, Jesus says, will be taken care of when we make the pursuit of God our priority. Right, that idea continues in Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul talks about this, where he says in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, so this is the idea that you've repented of your sin, you've given your heart to Jesus, the Savior of your sin, says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are of the earth. You see, in our film, Indiana Jones, stop the Germans who only think of things from an earthly perspective. Right? If I only had this item, then I would be able to take over the world. <laughs> Pretty big plan, right? You and I may not have plans of taking over the world, but I know in my life there's so many things that I do because there are earthly things that I want. And there's nothing wrong with those things. The problem is, is when we put them first. The problem is, is when we put them first. We might not be seeking out God's righteousness first, not seeking out God's will first. So we need to make a mind shift like how Indiana Jones obsesses on his archaeology, you and I need to be obsessed on seeking God's kingdom, on seeking God's righteousness, on keeping our minds fixed on those things of above, keeping our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus and what Jesus wants for our lives. So that's the first thing we do. To pursue God, we pursue God with, as a priority. The second thing we need to do is we need to pursue God with humility. One of my favorite scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark is when Indiana Jones and Marion and the rest of their friends actually find the Ark of the Covenant. And they find it in this antechamber, which is buried under the ground. And it was in this city outside of Cairo that was wiped out. It was like a a sandstorm took it, this city out that had a sandstorm for over a year and the ark was completely buried there and it was in this room where there were thousands and thousands of snakes on the ground and Indiana Jones gets the ark out and then his arch enemy Belloc, uh, Belloc, Belloc comes out, Rene Belloc and he steals the ark from Indiana Jones and then 
they throw Marion down into this pit with all the snakes, and then Indiana Jones and Marion are left there to die. So they got to figure out a way to get out of this, you know, out of this underground chamber. And so he escapes from there, and then they bust their way out, and then they see an airplane, and he thinks that they're going to put the ark on an airplane there. So he blows up the airplane. Then he finds out that the ark is being put on a on a truck. And so he's got to figure out a way to get the ark away from all of these soldiers. And my favorite line of the entire movie is when one of Indiana Jones's friends said, "Hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to stop them?" And Indiana Jones turns to his friends and he says these words. He says, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. (laughs) How many of you, show of hands, feel like in life you are just making it up as you go? (laughs) Whether it's with your parenting, whether in your career, whether it's in your education, wherever that is. What about in your spiritual growth and development? It just feels like I'm making it up as I go. I know I have definitely, definitely felt that way. And again, confession time. There are so many areas in my life I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't. I don't know. But... I'm stepping into those areas of my life with humility. I might not know what I'm supposed to do. I might not know how to handle that. But I know the one who does. I know God. And I know God loves me. And I know God has plans for me. And I know I can trust him because he is completely and totally trustworthy. You see, he saved me from myself. He saved me from the sins that I've had in my life. And because of his love, I get to be with God for all eternity. I don't worry about the wrath of God. I just pursue the presence and the peace and the love of God because of what Jesus has done. And so we need to be pursuing God with a level of humility. Sadly, we see in the ministry of Jesus many religious leaders who have lost that humility, where they look down on sinners, where they look down on people that are not as religious or as righteous as them. They look down on people who don't know the Bible as well as they do. They look down on people who aren't keeping the commandments of God as well as they are. And Jesus has his harshest words to those people. The religious leaders who should know better because of God's presence in their lives. But they didn't, they turned it more into a religious thing of judging people and showing this wrath of God instead of the love of God. I love this uh, verse here in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. Um, This is what the prophet here says, Um, you know, kind of the words of God here from the prophet Isaiah says, these are the ones I look on with favor. So this is the voice of God. These are the words of God here. These are the ones I look on with favor. Would you like some of God's favor in your life? Would you like God to look on you with favor? Well, this is what God says. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And who tremble at my word. Those 
who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. We pursue God with humility. See, I'm a big, big, big believer that every Christian should regularly be reading their Bible. I'm a big believer in this. I think this is hugely important. This is why we say as a church, if you don't own a Bible, you need to let us know, and I'm going to give you one for free. If you're watching right now, email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, if you do not own a Bible, and I will get one to you. I think it is so crucial in our spiritual growth and development to be reading the Bible regularly. Why? Not to use it as a weapon against other people, but to use it as a sword to keep me humble. (laughs) You see, it's easy to take the Bible and use it to pour out wrath on other people. But this verse in Isaiah, when it says that we are to tremble at my word. See, if I read the word of God and it convicts me and it speaks to my heart and it challenges my mind, that should cause me to ponder what do I do with this? Seeking God, pursuing the presence of God, trusting God in that. This theme continues in the New Testament as well. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trial that you're dealing with, humble yourself before the Lord. Quote Indiana Jones if you have to. I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. (laughs) But as long as you're doing that with a humble heart, God will meet with you and he'll pick you up. And then finally, to seek out and to experience the presence of God in our lives is that we need to pursue God with surrender. We need to pursue God with surrender. You see, in order to stop the Nazis from taking over the world with this incredible weapon that they found in the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones is willing to sacrifice everything to stop this from happening. It becomes his great purpose. It becomes his great cause. This becomes so much greater than simply putting a really cool artifact in the museum. This becomes a, a, a mission to save the world. He lays down his preference. He lays down his desires, his wants, and is willing to completely sacrifice himself to see the ark removed from these people. What's fascinating about what I love about this movie is that Indiana Jones is not a man of faith. In one of the opening scenes, when Indiana gets the mission to go find the lost ark, he shares to his buddy uh, and colleague, Marcus Brody, he says, you know, he says these words, he says, Marcus, you know, I don't believe in this nonsense, just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. 
Like the idea that the presence of God went before the people of Israel. The idea that God gave commandments to Moses. That God's power and presence is available to people. Indiana Jones sees that at the beginning of the movie as mumbo-jumbo. But then by the end, by the end, he realizes that the power of God is real. (laughs) The power of God is real. He surrenders to that. Right? In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says these words here. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is this idea that we need to realize that we've got this sin in our lives. And we need to surrender that. Because here's the thing about sin. We love it. <laughs> we love those sins. We, there's something in our fleshy nature where we deep down love talking bad about people, where we love judging people, where we love condemning people, where we love the substance abuse. We love the pornography. We love all of these things in our flesh. But eventually those things lead to death. They lead to a life that is empty and lead to a life that is far from God. In Psalm 119 verses 4 to 8, we read this. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous law, and I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. These are the words of King David, who's known as a man after God's own heart. He realizes he's got this sin, and he realizes he needs to surrender from his sin, surrender the pursuit of those things, and make the pursuit of God his priority. And he turns and he repents. Is he pursuing God is the greatest adventure you and I will ever embark on. Pursuing God is the greatest thing that you and I will ever embark on in this world. And finding God doesn't require us to be world-famous archaeologists. Finding God doesn't require us to fight Nazis and to escape from booby traps. God's presence is available for each and every one of us right now. You see, in John chapter 14, Jesus addressed the confusion of his followers. You see, the people were confused about who Jesus is. Even his own followers were confused about who Jesus was. And, and, and they just wanted to know, how can we know God? Again, I talked to so many people who want to know, how can I know God? Jesus says these words when we ask that question, how can I know God? Jesus says, don't you know me? And he uses the name of Philip, who was doubting, who was struggling with who Jesus was. Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, that pursuit of God, that greatest adventure that you and I could ever embark on, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you and I can truly experience the presence of God in our lives when we seek him, when we pursue him, when we get to know him, when we walk in humility with him, when we surrender our lives to him. And some of you might be joining us here today, whether in person or online, and you've never done that. Well, I want you to know you can do that real simply. Again, you don't need to go on a plane. You don't need to go to Egypt. You don't need to go on an archaeological dig to find the presence of God. The presence of God is available to you right now. And you can receive it real simply just by turning your heart to God in prayer and saying, God, forgive me, a sinner. Father, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. (laughs) Thank you that you love me so much that I can escape from the wrath of God that's going to come one day because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So today, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Come in me and make me new. If you do that today, online, there's a little pop-up that shows up there. You just click that button that says, raise your hand. And I would love if you would just click that button, fill out the form that's there and connect with us. If you've done that in person in our worship service together in the building, come find me after the service and let me know you did that. I want to celebrate with you and I want to pray with you. And for the rest of us, I want us to make the pursuit of God the greatest adventure of our lives that we will pursue God as a priority, that we will pursue God with humility, and that we will pursue God with surrender. Because I know that that is the greatest treasure you and I will ever find. We don't need to find a lost ark because we have Jesus who wants to walk with us and bring us on an amazing adventure. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you so much for your word and how it encourages us and how it spurs us on. And and God, I thank you so much for this church family. God, I thank you for the ways that we've been able to build one another up over this past year and a half with this pandemic. And God, we look to you for the days ahead. We know, God, you have prepared a great adventure for us as a church family. And so, God, we trust you with that adventure that you have us on. God, I pray that your presence would be just felt more and more by each and every one of us in our lives as we make you the priority of our lives, as we walk in humility and walk in surrender. God, I pray that your presence would be felt by each and every one of us. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, just meet with us right now, wherever we are, meet with us 
Touch our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.